Amen. I heard a pastor say once, if that didn't bless you, your blesser is broken. So (laughs) if that didn't make you want to get a little excited about what the Lord is doing, uh, something's wrong. That's what we're going to say. Something's wrong. Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to get there in just a few moments. But you can go ahead and start turning there now or get your device there, however you're getting to the Word of God today. And uh, I am so thankful you're here with us today. And uh, man, the worship already has been amazing. And I just can't wait to see what God is going to continue to do in our midst. Amen. And uh, as we get into His Word and talk about some things this morning. Uh, but before we do, one thing I gotta, I've been praying about whether I should say anything or not. Um, actually, just the Spirit was really convicting me that I probably should acknowledge one thing this morning. And uh, I'm just going to need Vic and maybe Rick and Ray to escort me uh, back to the office after service because I'm going to say what I'm going to say. So you guys need to help me out and just watch my back this morning. Um, I found out during greet time that it's Diane Blount's birthday today. And so we are just so thankful for Di. And uh, I'm used to calling her Aunt Di because that's what our kid, my kids call her. But um, I'm so thankful for Di and her family. And uh, let her know I'm not going to make her stand or sing to her because not even Vic and Ray could stop her at that point. Um, And so, no, no, honestly, we're so thankful for her and just want to celebrate with her. So let her know happy birthday today when you see her after service. And so great to have Deanna. Her daughter is with us from Liberty University. And uh, I always forget, ever since Deanna was in high school, um, I'd walk up to Deanna. She was a sophomore, let's say. And I would say, hey, are you coming to senior dinner this spring? And she would say, John, I'm a sophomore. Oh, I thought you were a senior. And then the next year, I'd ask her, you come in a senior? John, I'm, I'm a junior. John, I have not graduated yet. So I'm not even going to pretend to know what, where she is in college right now. I know she's been at college, and I know she's going back after spring break. So just pray for her. And uh, I, in my mind, she should have graduated like three years ago. So uh, that's just how it is. But she's probably only been there for three years. So no, um, but just be in prayer for her. So great to have her with us and uh, just celebrating the Lord together. And so um, we are finishing up our What is Worship series today. And uh, I don't know about you, I, I pray, I just, I genuinely pray this series has helped you to think a little differently about worship. Uh, maybe to affirm some things you already thought about worship that line up with God's word. Um, but maybe for some of us, it's just stepping out of some of the things that we thought were very uh, definitive lines And they're not really definitive lines. And so we pray that that's what will happen today, that you'll step out of those and continue to see how the Lord is moving in worship. Uh, We are true worshipers because we have the Spirit of God and have responded to the truth revealed in Christ. That is foundational to worship. Before we can even begin to dissect this idea of what is worship, before we even get there, we have to understand, man, how do I even worship? Why am I allowed Why were we just allowed to sing those amazing songs in the presence of our king and he received them as praise? How is that even possible for us as imperfect, flawed human beings? Anybody imperfect in the room? You're imperfect. You made a mistake somewhere in your life. Raise your hand. Okay. Just so we're all on the same page. We're all there. Again, I'm trying to get you guys to raise your hands more in church. If you haven't caught on yet, there's this subtle back way I'm trying to, no. But no, we all are imperfect. And so how can an imperfect, flawed human being 
possibly come into the presence of a holy and righteous God and sing praises to him and it not just be utter noise to him where it's not a good noise, it's a bad noise. And he rejects it because he sees our sin. How is it possible that I can even worship him? There's only one way I'm allowed access to the very throne room of God and it is through the person of Jesus Christ. You are not worshiping God because you want to and that's good enough. You're worshiping God because you received his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's allowing you to worship. And man, we have to start there. If we don't start there, our whole view of worship is completely self-centered and misdirected. When we start thinking more about that we're just able to worship because I want to, and it's my style of worship or my way of worship that only God will receive, that's a very slippery slope, a very self-centered prideful Christianity. It doesn't even match up with Christianity in Scripture. But man, when we realize we have been saved and redeemed by Jesus himself, given his Holy Spirit by his grace to indwell us, to take up residence in our lives, it is spirit and truth, Jesus says, that are true worshipers. And that's who the Father seeks to worship him, John chapter 4. And he says, I desire this kind of worshiper. So guess what? We better be that kind of worshiper because that's the one he desires. It's about his desire and worship, not ours. And that's why really when we worship in spirit and truth, we're worshiping in all and surrender. Did you ever stop and think about the last part of that song? He is seated on high, the undefeated one. Man, he is never lost. He is only victorious. He is only worthy of our praise because he has never been defeated. Man, he is the high an uplifted one. He is the most high God. Now that doesn't mean there's many other gods and he's the most high among all these gods. What it's saying is when we're scrounging around in the dirt and the muck and the mire of this life, worshiping ourselves or worshiping this idol or that idol, that we think are gods. No, no, there is only one most high God and it is the Lord Jesus Christ seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he sent his spirit to us so that we could worship him today. We worship in all and surrender. It is not us, it is him. We worship also not just as, or rather in awe and surrender. We worship as one when we worship as unified worshipers. There is no respecter of persons in the church. There is in Christ the body of Christ. Gender, race, ethnicity, none of that is important to God. Now he makes us unique and he crafts us and creates us and there's beauty in his creation. But as far as worshiping together, nothing stops us from coming together and worship him. No matter your ethnic background, no matter your social standing, no matter your financial situation, none of that is relevant to God. If you know him and have his spirit, you are a true worshiper. And we worship as one body. And I wish our culture would figure this out. I wish our churches would have done a better job of figuring this out rather than I've actually talked to people who grew up in the church in the 50s in good independent Baptist churches that preached the word of God that said that they were pro-slavery, pro-segregation, pro-keeping blacks and whites separate because, well, whites are this and blacks are from a sin-cursed line. This stuff was preached in churches in the last 100, 150 years. People that claim to preach the word of God preached hate and division and bitterness and just some vile, wicked things. 
And we wonder why the culture is the way it is. Maybe because the church didn't do really what we were supposed to do, but be a uniter saying, listen, yes, in your uniqueness, in your individuality, you don't have to be like us. See, that's the problem with our culture today. They think, man, no, no, no. We, in our differences, come together, and that's how we see the beauty of creation. Man, it's an acknowledging that there's nobody like me. Praise God. Because I don't know if there's another person as gracious as Sandra that can handle another me. Amen. It's in those differences. But listen, we, one author said it well. The church has to wake up and take responsibility for the cause and the division that we've created. When you have black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and Asian churches, man, where is that anywhere in the New Testament? Man, it seems to me that Jew or Gentile, bond or free, came together and worshiped in the body of Christ. And that's unified worship. That's what true biblical worship looks like. Last week, we started talking through the seven words on worship. We divided that into two series, or two messages, rather, in the series. And we covered the first four. So as a quick review, I'm just going to give you the first four. Not much commentary. If you're taking notes, I'll give you the word and where example of where it's found in the book of Psalms. All of these words are going to be found in the book of Psalms. And they're all words for our English word praise. So in English, we see praise him, praise, praise, praise. But in the Hebrew... That word praise is used in different contexts. There's different expressions of worship that we started walking through last week. And so I'll give you these four, and then I'll give you the references for notes. The first one we talked about, the first word on worship is the word yada, Y-A-D-A-H. That is found in Psalm 67, verse 3. 67.3 of the book of Psalms. It means to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands. To shoot out your hands. Here in the book of Psalms, it's saying we can worship him with a raised hand and elevating and lifting high the name of Christ. Another word we looked at last week was the word halal. Halal. H-A-L-A-H. This is the root word for our word, hallelujah. It's found in Psalm 149, verse 3. If you miss any of this, please see me after. I'd love to give you a copy of my notes. You can have it with you if you want to do more study. This word halal means to boast to rave, to shine, to celebrate. And I love this part of the definition, to be clamorously foolish. Man, when we praise him, people are going to think you're foolish. And it's not just what we're doing with our hands or our emotions or our actions. How about when you praise him in the midst of the craziest time in your life? And the storm is raging and the health is bad and the finances are not good. And all this is going on, and you're praising him. Guess what your unsaved neighbor is thinking? You're foolish. You're a fool. You're spending all your time at church praising him and not dealing with what you need to deal with and take care of these problems. And they don't realize the best way to take care of a problem is to give it to the Lord in praise. To stop worrying and start worshiping and watch God alleviate the situation. It doesn't mean a magic wand is going to be waved and everything will be fixed. I'm not saying that. If you want that kind of preaching, man, there's tons of channels on TV that will teach you that stuff. All you got to do is call that phone number, send them $10, and everything in your life will be fixed. It's amazing. They might even send you this, like, paper napkin that they say is a blessed hanky that you can rub all over your stuff that's having problems. It's foolish. Now, that's foolish. Like, that's just, I, I'm sorry. Can I just say again, and I know I say this a lot, just because something says it's Christian does not mean it's biblical. 
So just because some guy's on TV with a big church telling you what the Bible says, please get your Bible out. You read the scriptures and say, okay, is this really what God is saying? Now, someone might preach something that you're not used to, you're not familiar with, it's not part of your denominational tradition, and you can step outside the bounds of that and say, okay, maybe that is what the scripture's saying. But man, some of this stuff in our culture today is just ridiculous. It's just foolishness to make a buck or to make a name. By the way, if somebody's more interested in making a name for themselves than making the fame of Jesus known, don't spend time around them. Don't listen to them because they're just about themselves. That wasn't even in my notes. That was all free. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Okay, so this word halal means to basically to boast in Christ. What did Paul say? I'm not going to boast in me. I'm going to boast in the cross. That's what the idea is. We're boasting in Christ. We're raving about him. We do that in worship through song, in our conversations, right? And we're talking to people. We're boasting about him, even if they think you're foolish. The third word we looked at last week, it's spelled Z-A-M-A-R, Zamer, Zamer, found in Psalm 144.9. This one literally means to make music, to celebrate in song and music as we just experienced today. Literally, it means to just praise him with music, with instruments of all various kinds, and sometimes with no instruments whatsoever. The fourth word we looked at last week is spelled T-O-W-D-A-H. That is toda, not like ta-da, but toda. That was funnier last week when I said it. More people laughed last week. But anyway, <laughs> when you see here that word, me, it's found in rather, I'm sorry, Psalm 56, 11, and 12. Psalm 56, 11, and 12, it means basic definition, thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise. Some would even say this gives the implication of a thanksgiving for things not yet received. Things not yet received. And we talked about that last week. In Psalm 56, you find David has been captured by the enemy, has no idea what's coming, has no idea what his future holds, but he stops and he praises the Lord anyway because he's trusting even though he doesn't know what's coming, that God will take care of him and God will watch over him. Before we move into the final three words on worship, I want to reiterate something from last week uh, that I said as well. It is crucial in understanding biblical worship that we realize that it is not mandatory to worship Christ in these ways at all times. As I said last week, the variances in worship show that if you are in Christ, He receives our worship when our heart is turned to him. It is pointless to lift our hands if we are not lifting our hearts. What I'm saying is don't fall into the trap. Man, and some of our brothers and sisters in Christianity today and some denominations have fallen into the trap of just this mechanical worship. That it's now it's time to lift my hands or now it's time to do this or now it's time to do that. And I'm not saying there's not a tradition in all of us where we do certain things in worship that are just comfortable to us. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But if you walk in the church and say, okay, on the first song I have to lift my hands. On the second song I have to be a little foolish because that's part of worship too. On the third song I have to do this. And we're missing the whole point. And you might say, who would really walk into worship and do that? There are people that come into worship that the minute they feel the Spirit saying, why don't you raise your hands to me right now. You start thinking about the person next to you, not the Lord in you. And you go, oh, no, no, never mind. Or some people will say, I mean, I'll lay my hands so that people know I'm, I'm worthy of, of this calling and, I, and I'm praising God. And it's, it, we've got to have our minds and our hearts right. That's where it starts. 
Raising your hands means nothing if your heart is focused on you and not the Lord. So I want to go to a passage because I think we need to understand this. And all these expressions of worship all in the Bible, all good and okay to do in worship. But again, don't fall into the trap of a legalistic mindset. I have to do this and I have to do that. It's just expressing as the Lord is leading you as you know him. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. To me, this kind of sets the stage for the last three words, but really worship in general. Matthew 15 and verse 8. Listen to Jesus here. It says, This people draw nigh or near unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. Sounds great. Sounds like a good worship service, right? I mean, they're drawing near. They're gathering around. They're coming close. And they start to shout praises or speak praises to the Lord. And we would go, man, that sounds like a great church service. But Jesus sees beyond the surface. And he says in verse 8, but their heart is far from me. Man, these people looked like true worshipers. They acted like true worshipers. They gathered together to worship. They praised him with their words. Jesus says, man, it looks really good. But your heart is far from me. And I'm not naive enough to think that everyone in this room right now that when you sang those songs just a few minutes ago, that your heart was lifted to I mean, I pray that's true. I really do. I pray that everyone in this room, their heart was united in lifting up in worship. But maybe you allowed something to keep you from doing that. Maybe you allowed a past sin or a present sin that you're trying to get victory over or a situation in your life or the enemy or stress or I don't know what, but you allowed those things to rob you of that moment and your heart wasn't really fully focused on the Lord, lifting him up because you were too focused on what's going to happen tomorrow or this week or next week or what happened six months ago. And we got to be so careful that we give all those things to him because he says it's more about the heart of the worshiper than what you say with your mouth or what you do coming together. Man, churches gather all over our country. And I'm not one to think that they're all true worshipers. I also think that the smallest congregations in our country could be the strongest worshipers in our country. Those churches that meet continually and consistently with 20, maybe 25 people a week, and they come together and they just worship and praise. We go, oh man, I wish that church, uh, you know, I just, I don't know if they're really a good church. They're not really big. And we're missing the whole point. It doesn't matter if we have 10,000 or 10. If we are in Christ and have his spirit, we are true worshipers. And therefore our worship is received of the king. And we praise him, united and unified. And we got to get beyond the surface. we got to stop thinking surface and thinking about these surface things and go deeper and say, man, is my heart worshiping him? Is my heart expressing to him? Because it can look really good. I mean, if you take some time this week, read in Revelation about the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And there's a church there that he says, man, you look really good. You look good, but you're dead inside. It's not about the look of it. It's about the heart of the worshiper. And so before we even get into these next three words, I want to encourage us to think deeper than just the surface. It's much, much more than what we say or what we do or the style of music. And I've had people, you know, it's so funny. I've had people over the years, you know, somebody visited and they said we should do faster music. Or somebody said we should do slower music. 
And then they'll say this, and I know you can't please everyone. You can't please everyone in music. And so I understand that. You guys are, and it's not that they were critiquing our worship. They were just saying, hey, this is kind of what I like. And I understand that. I understand that. I'm not against that. But see, the, the problem I have is when people say things like this, you can't please everyone. What's the basis of that thought? What's my goal then to please people in our worship? Just let you in a little bit of a secret. A little bit, little bit of one. That was a Hamlin. Any of you that remember Dr. Hamlin? Okay. A little bit of a secret. Our worship is not here to please you. Just throwing that out there. Our worship is here to please him. And he is the one that we're focused on. And we can do different styles of music, different styles of worship. And we try to really honestly, when you look at this morning, we sang Blessed Assurance. And I don't know when that song was written, but I know it's an older hymn. All the way to a modern song. And we try to, try to look at all these scope of worship and the beauty and the heritage of the hymns. And the great praise and the beauty of these newer songs that are coming out. And we want to make sure we're not excluding either one so that we can please people. But we're trying to just open a door of worship where you feel when you come in here today and you have that time to worship, that you're allowed this opportunity to have your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings expressed to him through music. And you're singing and you're praising him and, and you're worshiping him. Whether your hands are in your pockets or your hands are lifted high, it's not about you so much as it's about getting your attention focused on him. And so I, I'm sorry if you think our music is here to please you then that's not at all what we're here to do. Uh, you're right, you're not going to please everybody. I've been in ministry just long enough to know that. But the problem is that too many people are trying to please people. And Paul seems to suggest that if you spend all of your time trying to please man, you're going to have a hard time focusing on pleasing your father. But man, if you focus on pleasing him, it doesn't matter what people do. And I believe the true worshipers will follow Christ. And we worship together unified, and it is amazing. I am so thankful for our time of worship, not just in music, but in Bible study. Wednesday nights, gather together to pray and to seek the Lord and to, to do all of those things. Man, we are just so excited to worship him in whatever way it's expressed. Last three words of the seven words of worship. It says here, uh, Psalm 72, go over there with me. Psalm 72. Psalm 72 in verse 11. The third, or I'm sorry, the fifth word on worship is the Hebrew word barak. B-A-R-A-K. B-A-R-A-K. It's found here in verse 15. We'll read it in just a moment. But look at verse 11 of Psalm 72 first. Psalm 72, 11 says this. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Go down to verse 15. And he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. That word praised is the Hebrew word barak. It means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute. To kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute. The key in this word is understanding the truth of true worship. 
it reminds me of the word picture behind the word worship in the Strong's Concordance. The illustration that Strong's uses is that of a word picture, and it's that of a dog licking its master's hand. And if you look up the word worship in the Strong's, at least the one I have, it says the best word picture was of a dog licking his master's open hand. Why does a dog do that? Because the dog knows I need this person for everything. Man, my food, my provision, my care, my love, everything comes from this person. And the only way I can show my gratitude is to show great humility. And that's the idea. That's what's being represented here. That when we come to him in worship, we're laying before him, we're kneeling before him, we're saying, I am not worthy of anything you give me. But I am so thankful for what you give me. It's this humility that we have in worship. And again, it's not about us being pleased. We said it a few weeks ago. When people walk out of a service and say, oh, that message was just okay. Man, our our whole mindset is wrong. Man, I need to be focused on, Lord, speak to me so I can be who you've called me to be as a follower of Christ. In any message, in any word, may I learn from you. If worship is our life, because it doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings, if worship is our life, Is that how you would describe your life of worship? In complete submission to the one and only King of Kings, do you acknowledge that every good gift is from above? In the Bible, there are clear postures of worship. And one we see come upon worshipers often is that of falling to our knees before the King, overwhelmed by his sheer presence. Just sometime, look in Scripture at all the individuals that fell before the throne, that were before the throne of God. Look at what happened to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. How did they respond to seeing Jesus in his glory? And when we see him in his presence and we understand who he is, the only thing that makes sense is to fall flat on our face in just humility and say, you are God. And more importantly, I am not And you are worthy of all praise. And we fall before him and we just adorn him with all of our praise. The sixth word on worship, as we continue through this study, the sixth word on worship is found in Psalm 22 and verse 3. Turn over there with me. Psalm 22 and verse 3. This Hebrew word here is tahila, tahila, T-E-H-I-L-L-A-H, tahila. And it literally translates to laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, and a spontaneous song. A hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. Now let's look at Psalm 22, 3. And see how the author used it here in this text. He says here in verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. The tahilah of Israel. And he's saying our nation praises you this way. And how do they praise him? With a song of praise. With a spontaneous song. He's saying, man, we praise you this way because you are worthy. Our life is a journey through various trials, blessings, and experiences. How many people have been blessed in some way the last 30 days? Raise your hand. You've been blessed by the Lord. 
How many of you have gone through a trial or a negative in the last 30 days? Raise your hand. Okay. Isn't that life? I've always said, my stepdad always said, you know, life is tough, wear a helmet. It's great advice, unless you're actually, like, just injured yourself in some way, and you want that comforting embrace of a parent, and he just looks at you and says things like, but if you did what I said not to do, or if you didn't do what I said not to do, you wouldn't be hurting right now. Isn't that great? Don't you love that from your parents when you hurt yourself? Well, I told you if you did that. Well, thank you, mother and father, as I'm bleeding profusely from my side. That's what I wanted to know was that in the era of my ways, I now realize you were right. So what we're saying here is, listen, life is tough. Man, it is just tough. But by the way, life was never promised to be easy. You see, because of sin, our whole world is broken. All of creation groans in sin. And because of that brokenness in sin, people are jerks. And people do mean and stupid things to hurt other people. And then those people, amen, you can amen that, that's all good. Then those people who are hurt by stupid and mean people, guess what they do in return? Go and hurt other people in a stupid and mean way because they were hurt by somebody who was stupid and mean. And it's just a cycle. Hurt people hurt people. That's just how it is. And it's because we live in this broken, fallen world that our lives are not ideal. And they are tough. But aren't you thankful that even in the tough and the blessings and the good and the trials, that our God is constant. That he is unwavering. That there is no shadow of turning with our God. He is evermore constant and consistent. And because of that, No matter what we face in this world, we can praise him in song. We can shout a song of praise to him. Sometimes it's a spontaneous song, and sometimes it's a new song. I honestly love that the Bible says to sing a new song. Not that the old songs are bad. It's telling us that when we see God in a new and amazing way, to sing about it. To shout about it. It may only be new to us, but we can sing a new song to the Ancient of Days. I also love that our songs can be a spontaneous song. Just in the moment, we sing out a song of praise and exaltation for his goodness. Do you ever have a song just come in your mind? You're going through something, and all of a sudden, a song will pop in your mind. And I'm not talking about one of those other songs. I'm talking about like a song about him. And you just start kind of singing. Isn't it just something powerful when we just sing to him? And I don't care if you can sing or not. That's irrelevant. Well, stop worrying about that silly stuff. Man, just sing to him because he is good. And he wants your praise. David says the whole nation of Israel cried out this way in song. The seventh word on worship this morning is found in Psalm 117, verse 1. Psalm 117 and verse 1. This word here is spelled S-H-A-B-A-C-H, Shabbat, Shabbat. And it literally translates to meaning to address in a loud tone, tone, to shout 
to commend glory and triumph. To commend glory and triumph. Listen to David's words here as the psalm is written here. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people. Why in the world would we praise him? I mean, what possible reason would we have to praise him? Verse 2, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. I mean, why would I praise him? Because his kindness is great toward us, and his truth endures forever. Isn't it amazing that God often connects truth and worship? That there's a truth in worship, and we worship the true and living God in the way that he asks us to. Here in this definition, the translation literally could read a shout. He could literally be saying, all ye nations, shout to him. Shout of his praise. Shout of his glory. Praise him in any way, but praise him with a shout. Some would even call this a holy roar from the people of God, individually as well as corporately. David, while in the wilderness of Judah, wrote in Psalm 63, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise Shabbat. I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. And David is saying, the land around me is desolate. It is a wasteland. There is nothing around me I see that is worth anything. But even though I find myself in this place, I really aren't thirst. I'm not thirsting for water. I'm thirsting for you. I'm thirsting for your presence and your glory in my life. And so I'm going to shout praises to you. I'm going to declare over all of this that I see that, God, you are good. And your goodness rules and reigns. Your truth reigns. Forever, he says. It doesn't matter. And that's what I desire. That's my thirst, he says in Psalm 63. Man, my body faints for you. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. Man, do we really, do we really live that way? Let's just take a break from the sermon and ask a question. Do we really live that way as followers of Christ? Where I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. I mean, is it in your bones where you just desire to know him so much more than you already do? I mean, you just wake up in the morning and say, God, would you just show me yourself today? Are you so wrapped up in you? Am I so wrapped up in me that I eagerly seek me and I eagerly thirst for more stuff and I want more security and I want more of what I want? I want my thirst satisfied. Or man, am I just thirsting for him because he is so good. and He is great. Man, do we live this kind of life? How would we respond if we're in the middle of a dry and dusty land without shout to him that he is still God? Or do you get focused on what you don't have? Because you're going to be tempted to look at the land around you and say, man, God, where are you? But I think when we doubt him being there, that is the greatest time to lift him up and shout praises to him. When we gather to worship him and to shout a holy roar, are we taste, are we, what we are doing is we're tasting what our heavenly worship will one day be before the throne. 
One author said it this way, and I love this. Every time we join with God's people to worship, one voice unites with another. Songs become anthems. Anthems become declarations. And declarations become a holy roar. Man, we are just shouting as one to the Lord. But why? I mean, is there any other reasons to shout to him and to declare his goodness and to worship him other than just to worship him? Well, that's the number one reason. But there's another reason the Bible tells us. Why shout a holy roar? It's not a pump up the present crowd type mentality. It's not a rah, rah, let's get fired up kind of thing. But to pass on the faith to the next generation. Psalm 145.4 says it this way. One generation shall praise Shabbat, shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. And why are we praising him? Why are we shouting to him? Because we want other generations to know you can keep trusting him. You can keep believing in him. You can keep going to him. He's still going to be there for you. He's still good. He's still strong. He's still mighty. And we want the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to know that, listen, I don't care what culture says. I don't care what the atheists say. I don't care what anybody else says. The previous generation needs to tell the next generation, God is still good. And he still loves. And he still saves. And he's still mighty. And nothing we do can stop that. So stop shouting defeat to the next generation and criticism and judgment and condemnation. But shout rather victory over the next generation. Tell your children, your grandchildren, your friends and your family, God is good all the time. And we can shout that to the next generation and see our world changed. We're so busy shouting at protests and rallies and marches that we're not shouting the faith to the next generation. See, we're really good at shouting. We just need to change what we're shouting and where we're shouting it. He is good. And he is worthy of our praise. Over the last two weeks, we have seen seven words on worship. Seven different expressions of worship that we find in the book of Psalms. And my prayer, and I know your prayer as well, is that it makes obvious to all of us that God desires our worship. Whether down on our knees in praise or standing with hands raised in a holy roar, he desires our worship because he alone is worthy. And so here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to go to invitation just a little bit earlier than normal. Not much, but a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to worship him. Man, I just want you to praise him. And I know I get kind of fired up sometimes. And I, I'm just telling you right now, you know what really gets me fired up is thinking about how good God is and how much he wants to show himself to you and how much of a jerk Satan is and how much he wants you to be defeated. And man, I get excited on the Lord's behalf and I get kind of ticked at Satan. And I get really really frustrated when I believe the voice of the enemy over the voice of my Savior. And I start living a defeated life and living in a way of thinking that, can God really do this? Man, we're going to worship him as a God, not that we think he is, not the God that we've made him to be in our comfortable little Christian American lives, but the God that he declares himself to be that is the creator, the one and only God, the name that is above every other name. And it's the only name whereby we must be saved. 
So here's what I want to do this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then let me just start by telling you that, man, he is madly in love with you. I mean, he is, he is in love with you more than you can imagine. And he loves you more than you even love yourself. And I know that's hard for some of us to imagine, but he does. And he says, if you will just believe that I died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, if you would just believe in that for the forgiveness of sins, trusting me, turning yourself over to him, realizing that he has better plans and better ways, and you would just surrender to him and say, God, I will receive your salvation by grace alone through faith, not in what I do for you, but what you've done for me through the cross. I believe you died for my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me my sins, and I give you my life. If you will do that this morning, in prayer, in heart, I mean, God will save you, and he will redeem you, and he will watch you grow and become all that he has for you to be. And one day you will stand in eternity in his heaven for eternity, spend glorious, glorious days with him. And he is good and loves you so much. And so if you don't know Christ, would you come to know him today? But if you know Christ, can we just worship him this morning? Can we just praise him? In just a minute, we're going to sing, I believe I surrender all. And I want to I ask you, man, don't just sing a song, but sing a song of praise as an expression of your heart as you worship him. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much. More than our simple English language can possibly compel. But Father, we are just, we are just so in awe of you. Lord, you saved us when we were your enemies. You loved us when we were unlovable. And you say if we would just trust in you for all things, that we would come to you and believe that you died on the cross for our sins, laying ourselves before you, receiving your grace and the forgiveness of those sins, that we could be known by you, and that you will make us yours, you will adopt us into your family, and that we will spend all of eternity in your presence. And Father, for some of us, that is an amazing reality we're living in, having the presence of God in our lives. For some here this morning, though, Lord, that don't know you as Savior, I pray that you would work in their hearts. I pray that you would show them your love. Because, Father, your word says that if we choose to reject you and your grace, goodness, and love, that we will have to answer for our own sin. And you will let us answer for our own sin. And the penalty, or rather the price for our sin, is death, eternal separation from you in a place called hell. And that's not a scare tactic. That's not a fear tactic. That's just truth. But Father, how great is it that we don't have to spend an eternity trying to pay for our sins in hell. We can spend eternity in your presence receiving your payment for our sin. And so would you work, Holy Spirit, would you lead God and direct? Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. And as we sing this song, may it not just be words we sing where our hearts or our lips rather are drawing near to you, but our hearts are far from you. May our hearts unite with our lips as we praise you through this song. Thank you for all that you do. We shout to you because you are so good, so loving. And we praise you in all these ways. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing? Lift him up this morning and shout to him, praise him, and enjoy his presence today as we worship him.